Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today's episode 184. As you see, we have Philip Smalley as our guest this week. A lot of you guys may not be too familiar with old Philly. But he is very, very prevalent in the NASCAR world, and he's very prevalent right now because, well, his main client, Ross Chastain, is also very prevalent right now. I wanted to talk to Phil because I've known him for a little bit, and I've noticed that at Dover, when I was there in person, he was right at the car when Ross got out, showed him the video of the Brennan Poole incident, and last week at Kansas, he was right there standing in the background of the camera shot when Ross and Noah are wailing on each other. And I was like, you know what? I think it might be a good time to talk to Philip because he has not had anything going on. He must be very, very bored. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited for you guys to hear that conversation. Excited to chat about Kansas. What an absolute banger of a race. I mean, that was the best race of the year so far. Probably will be for the rest of the year. Hands down. One of the best NASCAR Cup Series races I've seen in my lifetime. That was so, so much fun. And we're going to have a fun time at Throwback Weekend in North Wilkesboro this weekend so really excited to chat about that all with you but before we do any of that as always we got to throw it back and papa siegel has our way back segment of the week it is throwback week so let's throw it back to him thank you dude and welcome everyone to episode 184 last time around we paid homage to dick trickle the colorful 1989 rookie of the year whose legendary name was matched by his chain smoking habit Check out the 1990 Winston 500 at Talladega, which showed Trickle lighting up during a caution from his in-car camera. Ah, yes, they were different times, my friends. Today, we recall a Georgia campaigner who scored one of the most improbable wins in the history of NASCAR. Jody Ridley ran 139 cup races over 16 years in the 1970s and 80s. 25 of those starts came in the 84 car. Ridley spent his cup career racing for underfunded teams in less than top-tier equipment, but on one special spring day in 1981, he pulled off a shocking upset at Dover. It was one of those days when the racing gods were shining down on Ridley and car owner Junie Donlevy. All of the normal front runners that day overheated, blew up, or had other engine problems. The race had only two cautions, unusual for Dover, and the final 471 laps of the 500 were run under green. That meant the top teams couldn't change their tires as frequently as normal, which Ridley, who was used to running used tires longer than normal, took to full advantage. Neil Bonnet led 404 of the 500 laps that day until he blew up. Cale Yarborough was leading until his engine gave out with 20 laps to go. That gave the lead to Ridley, 
who had been two laps down behind Kale. He nursed his ride home to take the win by 22 seconds over Bobby Allison, who was the only other driver on the lead lap. It was the only win for Ridley as well as Don Levy and was as popular a victory for them both as it was surprising. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Ah, yes. I've heard the legend of Jody Ridley for a long, long time. Good to hear that way back segment from Papa Siegel, and good to have Jody Ridley on the forefront of my mind after Dover. So I know it's a couple weeks removed, but heard a couple things about him when we were at Dover of that fateful day in 1984. So very, very cool way back segment to him. Well, let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned Reggaeton! And throw it straight over to my interview with Philip Smalley, who is the VP of Motorsports Management International. MMI for short, because Motorsports Management International is a tongue twister, and it is a lot of syllables, and it's pretty long. Um, as I said, you've probably seen him in the background of camera shots on Ross Chastain's Instagram, at the racetrack, in Victory Lane. Uh, he is kind of a quiet exister, I guess. Uh, he speaks softly and carries a big stick. Uh, I'm sure that he would probably tell you differently, but it was good to catch up with him because he does a lot of things that are not really seen or celebrated, but for all intents and purposes, he's a driver agent. And we don't really get into that conversation a lot in the industry as a whole or on this show, frankly, but I wanted to change that today. And I wanted you guys to hear his perspective on things and what it's like to represent a NASCAR driver and how the NASCAR industry differs from stick and ball sports when it comes to athlete representation so a lot of ground to cover in this chat and we definitely had a fun time getting together on zoom i'll get out of the way and let you hear my chat with philip smalley of mmi pleasure to welcome on to the show this week a man who is not busy whatsoever has not had a last uh last couple weeks being very very hectic and busy it is the man the myth the legend himself vp of motorsports management international MMI for short. It's Philip Smalley. How are we doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad that, I'm glad that I got you to carve out a few minutes out of your busy schedule because like we've been joking, you haven't had a busy last couple weeks. Not much going on in the NASCAR world as it pertains to you and MMI. Nothing going on with Ross. Nothing. Yeah, no, nothing to see here. <laughs> I will say, I wanted to have you on because we've known each other for a little bit, but I noticed after Dover... Right as soon as Ross climbed out of the car, you were there with a phone and some headphones shown in the video of what happened with Brennan. Last week at Kansas, I saw you in the background, just arms crossed, standing and watching Ross throw a haymaker to Noah. So you're everywhere, man. I had to get your side of the story. Yeah, I, you know, look, I the job title is, uh, is you know, basically that you're, you know, the job is that you're always there. Um, so... Just trying to be there for our guys, um, whether that be Ross or um, somebody else that we represent. Just be there when they need us um, and provide them tools to, to do their job. Uh, we're definitely, um, you know, I don't want to be in the limelight. That's not the that's not the that's not the job. But um, unfortunately, unfortunately, or whatever, uh, there's been a lot of cameras around us uh, the last few weeks. So um, I guess people are starting to know my face. But that's definitely not. <laughs> Not uh, not on not on purpose. Sure. Well, a lot, I guess a lot of cameras 
in front of you guys or around you guys, that's that's usually not a bad thing. So I guess you'll take that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, Ross is in the entertainment business. Um, our other clients, they're in the in entertainment business. And, um, you know, so if they're talking about you, I guess it's a good thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it hasn't all um, – it hasn't been bad, right? And the other thing is that Ross is, is running really well right now. He sure is. All right. Well, a lot of people that are listening to this or saw your name on the episode, they may be thinking, well, I don't know who this is. Why should yeah. I care? Uh, and I, I introduce you as the VP of MMI. But yeah. before that, last few years, you were with Spire on the business and management, the yeah. entertainment side, as you will. I, I'm curious, as kind of a, a basic foundational question, was the business side and, and the other side of things as it pertains to entertainment and this industry and the sport, was that always something that you were interested in? And did you always want to go down that path? Uh, well, I wanted to be a driver as I think a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of us uh, folks that now work in the industry wanted to be a driver. So I, I grew up in Michigan, um, lots of racing, in Michigan, lots of, lots of uh, short tracks. And I raced, um, street stocks and, and late models um as a as a team and realized pretty quickly that i wasn't very good and i didn't have the funding to go uh really move up the ladder so kind of found myself in a position where if i wanted to um stay you know working in the sport or have a shot to um make a living in racing i was gonna have to get on the on the other side of the the money making or the money uh changing hands situation i was gonna have to make some money Scared money, don't make money. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I guess to answer your question, um, yes. I mean, I, I, I always wanted to be in the in the racing entertainment business. Just I don't know that I always thought that I was going to be a you know a, a manager of 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 racing businesses for drivers necessarily. Sure. So, and again, we, we're talking about Ross. For all intents and purposes, is it fair to say that you are? driver agents or representation like for for lack of a better term you know stick and ball sports when you're negotiating contracts you go through their agents or their agency mmi for all intents and purposes is a driver representation agency and you are an agent so to speak do you think that's kind yeah. of a fair characterization that's fair i mean I, i'm not an attorney um <laughs> we, we have attorneys on staff sure. um and you know mmi is not a new company um, it, it was founded in, in the mid nineties by, uh, Kerry Akajanian and, um, kind of trans that business transitioned into a few different agencies that are, are still active, um, in, in, in the motorsport space. And when we, when we, uh, were talking with the, with the executives at Spire and they were kind of headed down a path of, um, you know, owning their, their NASCAR team. And then they owned some hockey teams and, and it didn't really, the agency really didn't fit their kind of their business model anymore. And um, so they they kind of offered up this opportunity for us to kind of split off and do our own thing. And so when we were trying to come up with a name, uh, my business partner, David, was like, why don't we call Carrie and see if we can bring back, um, you know, his agency? So, um, yeah, so MMI is is it's the old MMI. It's it's the same business. Um, we do prior representation. So um, it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know, we, we represent drivers. MMI was founded, I think 1995. That's the year, right? Right. 
Right. So I was not born at that point. I know that you were just a was, wee lad yourself. Yeah, I was three. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that this was way before both of our times. Mm-hmm. And I know the name Carrie Agajanian from conversations mm-hmm. I've had with Ken Clapp, who's a legend out on the West Coast and has been with NASCAR for honestly probably six or seven decades, legitimately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, for those that may not be familiar with the Agajanian name and Carrie specifically, can you give us some background on him and why he's significant yeah. in terms of not just MMI, but NASCAR in general? Well, I don't want to butcher this um, because uh, they are very important to the motorsports landscape. But basically, the Agajanian family, um, they go way back, um, way back in the history of, of motorsports. They've they've been involved in Indy and, and NASCAR. And um, uh, Kerry's father um, was a was a longtime promoter and, uh, of racing. And so they just have this long uh, uh, family history in the sport. Um, Kerry's son sons are still involved uh, in racing um so i mean basically carrie we you know folks like myself we view carrie as like the godfather of of the motorsports agency right he yeah he, he's an attorney by trade and he saw a need for business services for professional race car drivers because at that you know at that time um the idea of a, of a major league baseball agent or an nba agent or nfl agent was was what's more common right jay mcguire those types of movies um but that wasn't really a thing in motorsports um and and so carrie uh saw a need uh for that and that's how he kind of started um and really you know carrie is responsible for um a lot of those open wheel guys um moving into the nascar space i mean obviously the the, probably the most well-known one would be tony stewart um, he was Tony's guy um, throughout his entire career. So um, that's probably not a very good history lesson for me. Um, but but what you need to know is that they're very important. Yeah, I knew that, but that was a good history lesson because I didn't know all the specifics. You know, doing some research, I saw some photos of Carrie yeah. and Tony together, so I figured that they were kind of attached at the hip. The The next question I have as it pertains to MMI and Carrie you know, as we said, founded in 95, it got revamped and kind of reborn just mm-hmm. this past year or this current year, 2023. Yeah. What happened to it? And why did it kind of go dark and, and go away for a while? Yeah, I'm, I don't know all the details. Um, I wasn't, I still, I was just uh, graduating high school actually when it when it uh, kind of went away. But basically, um, Carrie had some health um, challenges at the time, some different things going on. And it was just um, easier for him to ultimately kind of, closed the door and a lot of those clients went to different agencies um you know spire being one of them and that's kind of how spire was born and then out of that was um several different uh, agencies and agents that are still active in the sport and mm-hmm. i talk to on a daily basis um so you know carrie's always still been around um he often goes he lives out in, in california so he often um, would come to the fontana race um you know he was always just a phone call away for us at spire mm-hmm. um so just some different challenges um, for him personally. Um, and then, you know, on the business side too, kind of collided all at the same time. And it was just easier for it to kind of go away. And then I, I don't think, you know, Kerry never wanted it to go away. So this is uh, this is kind of cool. Um, Jeff Dickerson, uh, who owned Spire, was one, is, is, was one of the very well-known agents at MI during its rise. And so this was kind of Jeff's way 
in, in some respects to to I guess to pay respect to Carrie and to say you know we don't want your legacy to die. We're we're thankful for everything you did for us. Very cool. I didn't know that Jeff had a uh, had a hand in that when MMI was kind of at its height and its head. I didn't know that. And correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Carrie still kind of works with you and David in a senior yeah. advisory role whenever you guys need to yeah. bounce something off of him. And like you said, he's just a phone call away. And when you guys go out west, you see him from time to time. So although he's not necessarily in it every single day yeah. he is still involved with the uh the organization yeah and he and he loves it um he's still passionate about it he's still on top of his game he knows what's going on um i i think david actually just a few weeks ago had a hour phone call with him and um just bouncing ideas off and and uh we were you know we're going through the the, the phase now of kind of building our agency right we this is Yes, we come from a lineage of successful agencies and people, but we're very much building our own business here. So we're going through that those steps of, of you know, signing our own young talent. So yep. we we have questions about the way that should go, and we call Carrie, and it's it's a it's a heck of a resource. Yeah, and, and just for those that aren't familiar with the past history of MMI, besides Tony Stewart, Casey yeah. Kane, Matt Kenseth, Denny Hamlin, yeah. Kyle Bush, Jamie McMurray. Eric Amarola. So, I mean, there's a rich history there for sure. Yeah, through the, through the height of, of the NASCAR boom, yeah, um, you know, 2000 to 2010, right? In that time frame, I mean, essentially they represented the entire garage. I mean, they didn't, but I mean, probably 85% of the Felt drivers like it, yeah. that you watched on Sundays were, they had something to do with online. So, yeah, they, I mean, they were, that was, it was a, it was a, it was the premier motorsports you know, agency, um, by, a, by a long shot. So I know that when, um, it kind of got reborn and rebirthed, so to speak in the press release, it was very clear and it was important to you, important to Ross as well, that Ross Chastain is a founding member of this mm -hmm. kind of rebranding of MMI. Um, why do you think that was so important to him to, to be at this on the ground yeah. level because you guys have been together for a while but to see a cup series driver of his caliber being very open and forthright about that i don't think that's common in my in my experience yeah i mean i think that you know ross um ross is very loyal uh when we were talking about doing this um he kind of looked at us and said well i'm gonna be i mean i'm gonna be working with you guys for my entire career and why not own the business with you so um actually ross owns majority of this business uh, he is a he's a partner in this business with us and he you know he he's building his own business portfolio right uh melon man brand uh, obviously his merch company uh, has done very well um and then you know he has several different businesses that he's trying to get off the ground um and he's just trying to build i mean look at you look at like a guy like kevin harvick with khi um i think that's kind of the the idea here um i don't know if we'll be end up being as diverse as they've they've ended up being and 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 they do a really nice job and josh jones is, is a friend of ours and uh, we lean, lean on him for advice and i i think that what kevin and josh have done is a lot what ross would like to do so and i think also um when ross was coming through the pipeline of, of nascar and uh agents and and, and and agencies and meetings and you know he he met with spire and told us no right like at one time in his career. So just trying to do it different, not necessarily better, just different. What were, yeah. what, what were the reasons that he said no the first time, right? And trying to help um, drivers that um, maybe don't necessarily have 
ton of funding behind them. Um, you know, kind of going that route of, uh, you know, the Johnny Davis premium motorsports get the opportunity, win the race. You know, there's not a lot of people that talk about that path with young drivers. It's all, well, you got to be the best stuff. And I, I think this is how, this is one of the ways that Ross wants to tell his story and help young drivers. I knew that he had an ownership stake. I didn't know that he owned the majority. And I also didn't know that he was kind of trying to to build a business portfolio, an empire of sorts. It's funny because on the surface, right? You know, you hear about Ross. Oh, he's just a watermelon farmer from Florida. He touts himself as such and a rough guy on the racetrack. You don't really think of him as a, a savvy businessman that's trying to trying to make all these yeah. things happen off the track. But clearly, again, you know him better than a lot of people ever will, right? But yeah. it seems like this has been in the back of his mind for a little bit. This doesn't just happen overnight. No, we, we have talked about it. And, um, you know, David Erickson, uh, our business partner, he's the president of MI and he's uh, he's super right. And, uh, you know, Ross and David are, are uh, really good friends as well. And David actually worked at Johnny Davis Motorsports at JD Motorsports, okay. and that's how they met. And so I think, you know, Ross would tell you, that he's not necessarily, uh, you know, the smartest businessman. And I certainly would say the same. We sure. definitely lean on David um, a lot for the kind of the behind the scenes and a lot of things that happen. But the one thing that I that I appreciate about Ross is that he knows he he needs to do these things to um, build his brand. And, and I think, look, the on-track performance is ultimately what sells and what makes us all successful. Um, but I, I say this to all, almost all my drivers, the bones of your deal, right? The, 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 the foundation of everything you do, whether it's your driving contract, whether it's your, the agency you work with, or just, you know, building a structure in your backyard, like your foundation has to be really solid. And, and I think Ross is just building that foundation so that when the on-track su success happens or continues or whatever you want to say, um, it's not like we're not, we're not panicking right it's there and we can go out and we can hire somebody and place them in a position right and so he's doing those things probably a little bit earlier than some 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 drivers have mm -hmm. yeah so david met ross at jd when did you first meet ross when did your guys's relationship blossom into what it is now you know it's funny i don't even know um i um, I'm friends with a few different drivers, um, you know, in, in the sport and, uh, my best friend, um, for the last decade has been Eric Jones and we actually moved to Charlotte together. I mean, not together, but like the same day. And yeah, like, he was like the only person I knew. So I, I hung out with Eric a lot. Michigan boys. Yeah. Yeah. Michigan boys. And so you get to know people and he was right when he got to Xfinity and he was driving for Gibbs, Ross was driving the four car and we were all about the same age and Brandon McReynolds and, and, you know, that whole William Byron and that whole group. And so naturally, I guess we just started kind of hanging out and Ross would come, I don't know kind of how, but he would be a part of that conversation. Okay. And then, you know, I'm friends with Garrett, Garrett Smithley. I've helped him in his career. He was racing with Johnny. So just kind of all of a sudden I was just like, Oh, he's like, you know, this is my friend Ross. And it's like, so I would say that was probably 2016 is when we really started to get to know each other. And then, um, you know, David brought Ross into Spire um, and started working on some things. And then it just kind of naturally happened. And then I kind of got put with Ross on the road because um, David doesn't, doesn't travel 
uh, as much. He's got a young family at home. He actually lives in Atlanta. And so because of my travel schedule, I just kind of naturally got placed with Ross. And then we've obviously became a lot closer. Um, but yeah, it just kind of, it's like a lot of things in life, I guess. It just kind of happened. And I couldn't tell you where I was when I, when I met yeah. him, but he's just such a, anyone that knows Ross outside of, you know, racing, he's just such a genuine person and he's easy to get along with. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been my experience, which is crazy, crazy limited compared to yours, obviously. But I mean, I remember it had to probably be around 2016, maybe when you guys yeah. first met, I was interviewing him at Watkins Glen at the JD Motorsports Hauler. Yeah. And to a T, I mean, the way he is now is the way he was then. He just yeah. happens to be in the Cup Series, winning races, ruffling feathers, you know, like that's yeah. that's just Ross. I mean, I don't need to tell you, but some people out there listening may may think, oh, wow, he's just, he thinks he's this big hotshot Cup driver. I mean, I, you may have heard Jeff Gluck, he said on his podcast that he genuinely thinks that Ross like doesn't really like to be in these conflict and, and, and scenarios. I think that's true, and I, I'm sure you do too because knowing him the way that I do, you know him way better – this mm -hmm. is not really where he wants to be. He's just genuinely a very chill, relaxed watermelon farmer who happens to really enjoy driving race cars and also is pretty good at it. And he's been that way the whole time. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think, I think that, I think the thing that I appreciate about him is that he, he doesn't, he doesn't like the limelight. He doesn't like conflict. He doesn't like some of the things that I think he's had to go through. But the one thing that he understands is that that's his job. And, and in order to drive race cars, um, and make a lot of money doing it at a high level, he's going to have to put up with this stuff over here, right? The stuff that sure. he doesn't like. And, and there's a lot of drivers out there that just don't put up with it. And they just don't do deal with it. And that's why they don't do interviews. You don't see them. Um, they're, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, they're not out there. And so I think for Ross, um, he's had to learn to own it a little more. Right. And I know every fan out there probably doesn't want to hear it, but it's like when he says that he's sorry, like the 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 crazy part is like everyone thinks that he's just like just being like, you know, a jerk about it and just like, oh, he doesn't actually mean it. Like he does. He's genuinely uh, you know, pushing so hard and making these mistakes because he's he is new at running up front, right? Like I know he has a you look at his resume and he has four hundred NASCAR starts or whatever it is, he's only really ran up front for 18 months. And so mm -hmm really just making mistakes that every other young driver, Joey Logano, Eric Jones, Chase, like, because it takes time to get going at this level. And um, just, you know, walking through that, you know, maybe we don't need to apologize for everything, right? Maybe you did mean to do some things, even if in the moment you didn't feel like you did. So just like learning those things very naturally. Um, but obviously when you're doing it in front of, you know, 65 million NASCAR fans and you're the new guy in town. Um, it's loud. It's, you know, it's loud. So, um, but he's, you know, I think he's doing a pretty good job. Um, he's finding his place. He's finding his footing. Um, but yeah, he just wants to race cars, but he knows that that's part of the job. That kind of leads me to another question. I, I was kind of joking about you being there at Dover, you being right there when he was scrapping yeah. with Noah um, you know, in the aftermath of those scenarios and even some other ones, what are the conversations like that you have with him that he has with you and David maybe, or yeah. anybody else on your staff? I mean, like, are you guys debriefing how to handle it? Like what actually happened? T take yeah. me into the war room, so to speak. And, and what the aftermath is of those type of scenarios as, as a driver representative. Yeah. I mean, look, 
I think that you and I were relatively young guys. I'm old now. I turned 31 on Friday, which is crazy. But um, happy belated. Th thanks, but oh, this coming Friday, I'm not 31 oh. yet. I'm still 30. Yeah. Happy early. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think that um, growing up and watching this stuff on TV, I didn't realize how real it was in some sense, if that makes sense. And what I mean by that is, you know, when when something happens on the track or off the track or whatever there's a real human element of of like sitting down and thinking about what happened and talking about what happened so like the three of us david and myself and ross we talk about everything right and so um i'm just like even on the plane home he's like what do you think of today you know it's just like something that you might ask you know a family member if 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 you know if something happens or you know what i mean like it's just a very yeah. human conversation and um so we we talk about each and every situation um the goods and, and the bad and, and and i was people would probably be surprised how much david and i aren't yes men um even even to all the clients and i we're, we're doing some work with carson hosvar now and um he's got a he's got a good team uh, around him in michigan that handle a lot of his business stuff but we we're kind of handling a lot at the track forum and uh you know, I, I, I get on him, right? He pays me, but I, I don't tell him yes to everything. And I, I would say that it's kind of the same thing with Ross. It's like, we're very honest with Ross. Um, but I, I'm the times that you've seen me at the track, I guess these last two weeks have been more visible than I probably want to be. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to give him the tools to, to know what happened. Not, I'm not telling him what to say. I'm not saying you should react a certain way. I want him to be him. I want him to have an, like, handle it. He's a man. He can handle his business. But I also want him to have the tools to make the right decision because I know that he will. And so when when I'm standing there at Dover, it's not me. He's he's asking the questions. Who's, who, was, who was driving the 15? Um, you know, what lap was that on? Um, he's not asking me in that moment, what did you think? He knows what I think. Yeah. He knows like, – he knows that I'm like, you know, I'm sitting there too, just like you and be like, and I'm just like, come on, Ross, you know, I have the same reaction and he knows that. So just, just trying to give our guys the tools to be successful. They're all going to make their own decisions, um, but be there to support them. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can confirm that standing like 20 feet away from you at Dover. You went up to him, you showed him the video. He asked you a couple questions. You responded. You walked away. He did his media like that's that's all yeah. that happened legitimately. So it's like, you know, some people out there think that the agents and PR representatives are mouthpieces and they tell the drivers what to say, talking points, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure that happens to a certain extent. But in these specific scenarios, I mean, I saw it with my two eyes and I, I take you at your word, obviously. Yeah. I hope that everybody listening will, too. That's not really the case. You are there again, like you said, to give your clients the tools to then be able to handle their business professionally and the right way. Yeah. And I mean, for, I know I've said this a lot, but I, you know, I think that I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> um, and so, you know, my, but yeah, I mean, look, I, at the end of the day, I can't fix it, but I can help. I can help give them the tools and the information. And I think, this is this has happened in the past. It's just for whatever reason it's more visible right now. I mean, I I know that at Atlanta a couple of years, 
a couple of years ago when Kurt Busch won and the media was all up, all up, you know, in, in Ross's face trying to figure out, you know, did he slow down in front of the 18, like what went on, um, you know, that was going on in the hall. Right. And so these things are just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's evolving. It's an ever evolving thing. And um, I think the other thing is that you and I, you know, I, I built a relationship with you. I have a relationship with Bob, Jenna, like all the media members. Right. And you build a relationship with these folks. And so they, they know when to ask and want when not to ask and you know they ask favors of me and i and you just you build a professional relationship and i think that's why we exist right and um our young driver can come to us and we already have those relationships built so that when they screw up and and you're writing a piece about about them and you know if i feel like something isn't correct i can come out of a real conversation with you and we can get that fixed Yep. And you know that I'm just telling you the truth, right? So the fans, they they're getting the real story, right? And 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 if you're just coming into the sport and you don't know anybody, those things don't get fixed. And so, you know, it's dude, it's a ever it's an ever changing landscape. That kind of leads me to a next point. I think that this is 2023 marks your ninth year working in the sport mm-hmm. full time yeah. professionally. Does it feel like almost going on a decade for you? Um. If you told me it was my second year, I believe you. If you told me I was 60 years old and it was my 35th year, I believe you. <laughs> I figured um, you'd say that, yeah. So yeah, so in the middle, it's crazy, man. I'm so blessed. Um, I'm I'm so lucky. This is a dream job, um, and and it's it's been awesome. I I think that it it uh yeah, it does feel like year nine, but in a positive way, right? I feel like um, I feel like I'm decently well respected, at least I hope. Um, I've got to know um, some other, you know, agents and managers that have been here a long time before me um, and learn from them. And I have good relationships with them and Jeff and TJ at Spire and Justin Marks and Dave, you know, I go down the list. Right. And it's like, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like it's worked out, you know? And, and, and I think for me now, it's just maintaining, building this business, working hard, staying hungry, um, because there's always someone that's willing to do it cheaper and outwork me. And at the end of the day, there's not that many drivers at this level to represent. And, um, you know, look, you, you got to represent some guys on Sundays if you want to pay the bills. Um, you know, the, <laughs> traveling to 38 races and traveling a staff to 38 races is not the cheapest, not the cheapest thing in the world. So, no. yeah, man, it, I, I'm I'm just super blessed. I, I love what I do. And I love who I do it with and our client list. We have a great client list and we're, we're building it. I haven't even mentioned Justin Haley's name yet. And I feel yeah. like that's kind of burying part of the lead because you guys also represent him. He's also a cup series driver. He's also yeah. a cup series winner. Uh, yeah. Just because he's not in the headlines as much as Ross or running up front as much doesn't mean that he doesn't get just mm-hmm. as much, if not more attention mm-hmm. from you guys. Um, I know that he's been a part of your guys' organization for a while as well. Just to yeah. have two Cup Series drivers and two Cup Series winners at that under your guys' portfolio, I imagine that probably has to be a pretty big deal and a big bargaining chip too. Look, I've known – it's crazy. I knew Justin before I worked at Spire. Um, he was racing late models um, around the Midwest, and I, and I got to know him. Justin is a is an under, underrated talent. Um, he, he, he does a better job than I think most people realize, and – um, you know, he's a K&N champion. He's won in all three series. Um, he's a great plate racer. Uh, he leads laps in the cup series when he gets up front. Um, you know, 
Justin Haley, one of these days, he's going to break out. He he really is a, a great talent. And I think um, I'm looking forward to um, the rest of the year with him. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that he, he can continue to, to uh, you know, be in a, in a solid, solid situation like, like calling. And I think, you know, and in some ways he's kind of helped build that place um, with, with Chris and, and, and Matt, right. And and he's been kind of a mainstay there and I think he's done a good job. Um, you know, Justin, like I said, I think Justin's a little bit underrated. He's one of those guys that I have to pry a little bit more to, to be himself and get his personality out there. But Justin's hilarious. I mean, he's got a great personality and, um, he's young, man. I think he's only 24. Yeah. Um, he's a young guy and he has a lot, lot of experience. So yeah, love Justin. Um, you know, we also do like Josh Balicki. That's another one of those guys like this year, he he's doing a partial schedule at, at live fast and he has a road racing background and we took him to, they, they took him to Coda. Um, and, um, you know, did a, re- he did a really good job there. I know he didn't get the finish, but he was running, he ran 12th for 20 laps, right, with Logano. And and I get that TV and radio isn't always going to get those stories. But, um, yeah, I just – I love who we work for and with. Uh, we have good people around us. So, Justin Ross on the cup side. You mentioned Josh Bilicki, partial cup yeah. schedule this year as well. Uh, Mason yeah. Massey, Garrett, you mentioned him, Stephen Parsons. Yeah. Uh, Brad Perez, is he, like, officially under the MMI banner? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, like – basically how how you know we brought everyone over um from spire and um you know but every deal is different and so sure. we definitely don't do as much for brad as, as we do for us because there's not as much to do exactly right now for brad what we're what we're trying to do with brad is just try to give him some of the tools and some of our knowledge of of you know what he should be paying um sponsorship wise what he should be bringing sponsorship wise to to get some of these rides and then um, we're basically hoping that he can show that he belongs and that buys down the entry cost for the ride so the sponsor can come along for the ride. And, 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 but it's a, you know, what we do for Brad isn't what we do for Mason. What we do for Mason isn't what we do for Ross. And so we're very open and honest about that. Um, and I think one of the things that I appreciate about our group and growing our, our company is that we will talk to everybody and, and you don't have to have a million dollars of funding for us to talk to you. Um, you know, Ross certainly didn't have a million dollars of funding when he came and sat down with us. So, um, you know, the, the, the only thing that I ask of young drivers is that, that you want it worse than I do. Right. And if I want it worse than you, then it's probably not going to work out, but yeah, we have a really diverse, um, client list. We just signed uh, Nathan bird. Um, he's, a he lives in Indiana. He's from Phoenix, open wheel background, um, racing, like something like 35 different kinds of cars or something crazy. I don't <laughs> even know. He's running like, he's running like 300 races in like three years. Um, his family has long heritage and in, in Indy car, they've run a bunch of 500s. Um, they were, they did a bunch of stuff with James Davison, uh, and then, uh, Brian Clausen. So we, we have a connection there, uh, through Clausen and, you know, excited to take on something a little bit different and uh, work on some Indy 500 stuff for, for, for Nathan. So, yeah, man, it's we got we have a good group. Just real quick on Brad. I like to think yeah. that me and Mamba uh, deserve like 10 percent of that because I, yeah. I know you remember, but we were on off the yeah. record together. It was me, you, Mamba and Brad. And I think it was like a commercial or something or maybe yeah. after. I don't know. 
And Brad was jokingly like, yeah, Phil, like, got to get with you. Get me hooked up or whatever. And you nonchalantly were just kind of like, yeah, hit me up. Here's my number. And then next thing I knew, like, I saw that you guys are working together. And I was like, oh, my God, Mama, we did it, kind of. So I like to think that we took, like, a little bit of part in that. Yeah, man, Brad's talented. Um, You know, it's it's one of those things he's just got to find some supporters. And he has – he has a bunch of guys. He has a bunch of guys that are interested, and we're just working through that, seeing what the value proposition is for them. And um, he ran his first oval race at, at Martinsville, and actually, I think he did a phenomenal job. Yeah. Um, he made he made the race at Coda. He had to make the race on speed. He did. So, yeah, Brad Brad's uh, he's got a cool story, and he's got a lot of talent. You mentioned, um, you know, you have clients in the Cup Series, Xfinity, Truck Series, ARCA. Now dipping into the open wheel. Uh, yeah. world as well how important do you guys think that diversity in terms of skill set in your clientele is especially in this kind of just ever-changing landscape that is motorsports yeah i think the more we can do the better i think the more inf- we're in the information business um so the more information we can be feeding into the into the into the system into the you know into our business uh the better and uh i love all forms of motorsports so I want to use the the platform that we have uh, a NASCAR to kind of get to other platforms, and um, I I like the IndyCar space. Um, I'd love to I'd love to dabble in the Formula One space. Obviously, that's a that's a whole Big different spender game. over yeah, here. That's a, that's a whole other game. <laughs> but it's something that I that I would would love to do. And um, you know, NASCAR is my fastball. It's what I know. It's what I've done. Um, but I I love IndyCar. So if there's any IndyCar drivers out there that need some representation, hit me up. You know where to find them. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Brandon McReynolds a little bit earlier, yeah. Cole Custer, like that whole group of guys that are kind of in their mid to late 20s are, are very established now in the industry, whether it be on the racetrack, on the spotter stand, whatever. Yeah. You've been friends with a lot of those different guys. I'm curious you know, how you went about cultivating all those different relationships because clearly – it's paid off for you in the form of clientele for your professional job, personal relationships, or just having those different people to fall back on, to, to bounce advice off of, things like that. You have a really, really good group of people around you, and I think that's kind of what has made you guys at MMI so successful. How have you gone about cultivating all those relationships with people in the industry? Just being genuine, man. Like I Just a kid from Michigan that, that had a dream and chased it, and that's the story of 99% of the people in this garage. And I know, you know, I know that not everyone kind of believes that. Um, but it's, it's, this is a who you know business. And so just being myself and taking opportunities when I had them and um, not, you know, I think one of the mistakes that I made early on in my career, and luckily I had enough good people around me to kind of get me through this period of my life, but I kind of thought I knew everything, right? I was, 22, 23, I just got my job inspired, making more money than I've ever made. You know, we had an amazing client list back, you know, back then we were, we were the agency at one time. We had all the young guys, um, you know, and so we had Larson at that time too, and, and Stenhouse. And it was, it was great. Agency was healthy. I was making a lot of money. I was young and I just walked around like I knew everything. I was wearing, I wore, I was wearing like sport coats to the racetrack and like, it just, I caught you at the tail end of that phase. I remember. Yeah. yeah. And like, I'm not saying sport coaches of the racetrack are bad, but like when you're 22 and you're not actually doing any deals, yeah. you know, the guys that wear sport coats, they're actually doing deals. 
So like I wasn't doing any deals. I was like tweeting for like a and n team, you know? Um, so just kind of learning my place and not taking my tel- myself too serious. But look, dude, we race cars and circles for a living. It is what it is. Like it's not that deep. <laughs> it's not that deep. And so I've just learned to not take it super serious. I mean, I, I like, I do my job well. I take my job serious, but like, you know, there's people out here saving lives and, and we're not. So like, I think that's just kind of, I've just been myself and I've just been real and I've just been honest. And um, I can honestly say in this garage, I just, I haven't, I don't know that I have any burned bridges because I, I just don't like that. Right. I don't like when people don't like me, no but one does, yeah. I've worked really hard to just be myself. I know I'm goofy. Um, you know, I, I always make fun. I know that I can't walk. Right. People always like, what? It's like, yeah, man, like I'm not, I, I can see, like I, I watch, you know, I, I know who I am. Right. Like, and I'm good with it. Totally comfortable with it. And that's part of the reason that Ross and I get along. Like he is who he is and I am who I am. And we do business with people we like. Not taking yourself too seriously is a very important quality to have. I think in any industry, but especially this one, when you're around the type of people that just rib you in a friendly way for all those different things. So I think, uh, I think that's definitely well said. Yeah. So a couple more things. Um, This is going to be a half serious, half joking one. But coming from somebody who uh, has never really been in a room to negotiate a contract and the thought of like having millions of dollars go which way or whatever, it's kind of just so foreign to me. Uh, When did it become normal or is it normal for you to like be dealing with facts and figures that are in the six, seven, maybe even eight figure range? Like I, to me, that's just ridiculous. But to you, that's the job. Yeah. I mean, Probably there's days it feels normal. There's days that it doesn't. Um, at the end of the, at the end of the day, they're just numbers. It's not like I'm getting paid that. So that probably you know it it probably separates. It's like probably one level of separation that kind of makes it not feel that strange. I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, I think that. I think it's just ever changing. I I don't. Um, yeah, I mean it's probably a little bit. You know, I think. I think it's probably a little bit more normal to me than most, but at the same time, when you go and balance your checkbook, you're just doing, you're just dealing with numbers. When you look at your bank account, you're just dealing with numbers. It's just kind of the same thing. I, I think the the part of the negotiation that I that I actually really really do enjoy is just um, the back and forth, and I and the and the idea and the the feeling that you get when you get a deal done, and the pride that comes with that. Um, and and there's several different ways to kind of go about negotiating a contract. And I've, I've learned for some, from some of the best. I think Jeff Dickerson is maybe the best I've ever seen. Um, you know, some some agents and some managers like to be aggressive and get all the money, all the money, all the money every time. And, and it's great. I think for us and our where we came from and the people we've learned from, um, we just want the deal to be mutually beneficial, right? Um, Sometimes it's better to make a little less money, uh, have a little longer term deal or, um, you know, make the other side feel like they want a little bit. Um, because at the end of the day, you got to go, you're in business together, right? And, and if you're paying me a bunch of money, you don't think I'm worth it. And then I'm not winning. Well, like that's not going to go, that's not going to last for long. So I think we just want, we, we truly want 
our drivers and, and the teams that they're driving for to like us. We don't want them to dread every time we walk in the door. We want them right. to want to give us a good deal or a good opportunity or this or that. So um, that's really what I focus more on. I, I don't really focus that much on the numbers. I used to. And then, you know, Jeff Dickerson said to me once, like, something to the effect of, like, the, the deal is going to be what the deal is going to be. You know, the deals get done way before the deals start. Like, the deals get done based on really how someone feels about you. And so I spend, yeah. I'm trying to spend my time building those relationships so that when we get to the deal table, it's kind of, they, they push a number across the table. And now if you're, if you're asking, like, is it really how it, how it is like in the movies? Like you like the piece of, it's like, yeah, sometimes <laughs> a lot of times though, it's just over text. Like it's yeah. you know, like, I'll send all the things that I want and they'll send what they're thinking. And then it goes to contract. Like it's, it's kind of like what I said at the beginning of this, this, this interview, um, this sport is more real than I think. It's definitely more real than I thought it was in the sense of like, it's just real life. Mm-hmm. And so to people that watch this on TV and it's kind of a getaway for, maybe for, for them from real, this is our life. And so like when, you know, I know no one wants to hear this, but like when you make fun of like Ross or something like on Facebook or you say something like it does actually hurt. I mean, you know, he understands that, but like, I read that I'm kind of bummed because he's my buddy, you know? So it's just all the moments that you see, they're real from you to me to, you know, clear B on Sirius XM. Like she's just a person. And that's, that's what I wish we could almost tell the story more of is like, when you call and say something or you do something like we're all just people. Yeah. We got a good opportunity and we're trying to make the best of it, but like, I'm not, Seriously, like I'm sitting in a neighborhood in Huntersville, North Carolina. Like, I'm not any different than you know my next door neighbor is a salesperson at at you know Xerox. Like, it's just, it's just relationships, man. It's just hardworking relationships, and I love it. And you do well at it too, I might add. Um, Here's another dumb question for a mere mortal that will never be an agent or anything like it. Um, NASCAR, I feel like, is is obviously different than the stick and ball sports, right? My yeah. dumb brain thinks, all right, stick and ball sports. The agent goes to the team and says, my player is worth X amount of dollars to your organization. NASCAR, there's sponsorships involved. There's manufacturer ties involved. There's all these different facets to signing a deal and relationships than there are with stick and ball sports. How involved do you personally or is kind of like the industry standard in terms of who they get involved with, what they get involved with from sponsors to manufacturers to teams to owners like all those different facets because i feel like there's a lot of different rungs on the ladder in nascar than there are in other stick and ball sports does that kind of make sense sure it's deal by deal um you know it's deal by deal there's there there's uh you know the farther you get up the food chain the closer to the front of of all three series definitely the cup series um probably the less involved you know you are in terms of some of that because the team, the team, you know, they have their OEM partner. They have right. their, some of their own sponsorship. That's more of a, you know, they they want the best driver they can afford, kind of, and they got their guy. And so, at the front of the pack, it's 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 not. We don't. I don't feel like we get super involved. I'm not saying we don't. Um, and then as you go, you know, further, you know, down the grid, obviously, um, talking about some drivers bringing money to the situations, whatever, and. A lot, you know, 
there's a, there is kind of a misconception, I guess, that a little bit that just because you bring money doesn't mean your dad wrote the check. You can bring sponsorship dollars, right? Like, you know, a guy like Josh Blicky, like Ziegler is his partner, but that, that's a real, that's a real dealership group owned by Aaron Ziegler. They do, they do a lot of business. A great Another partner. Michigan tie, by the way. Love it. Michigan tie, Kalamazoo, Michigan. He brings that to the places he races, but you know, he is a professional race car driver. This is what he does for a living. So um, it's deal by deal. Um, there's different levels of all this. And and once you are, you know, 15th on back and road trucks and experience, there's no real OEM conversations. Um, it's, this is what it costs to race. And, you know, you're, you're basically trying to, you're balancing what the owner's, what the owner's risk is versus your risk and selling against it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's complex, but it's not, you know? Yeah. I feel it's you. A terrible answer, <laughs> um, I remember uh, uh, you went a little bit viral earlier this year because you were the test dummy for Ross Chastain's uh, Swiffer at the Bristol Dirt yeah. Race. Yeah. You know, it pays to be bald sometimes. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. He thought that was way funnier than anybody else if you watched that video. I thought it was pretty funny, dude. I I'm don't not even gonna know lie. why he I thought mean... it was so funny, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a good time, man. Um, that number one group, uh, Trackhouse, they're, they're a fun group. And um, that, I mean, that was like a, I feel like a, uh, just a snapshot of Ross's personality. Yeah. You know, like he's just, I don't know. He's just a guy. He just likes it's to like a fun. microcosm of your guys' relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You know, he, he picks at me and I pick at him and um, yeah, that's, that's Ross in the snapshot. Do you guys go to all 38, like MMI? Are they represented at everyone? I know you're at the, at most of them, if not all of them, you must be I'm, tired. This year I'm doing all of them. Um, yeah. We try to have a presence uh, at every NASCAR race. And as we grow, um, hopefully have some more clients in IndyCar. And what we usually, like in the days of Spire, we had a body. If we had a client there, um, for the most part, we had a body there. Um, sometimes it doesn't make financial sense. Sure. But, um, you know, we, yeah, we try to, we try to, I'll be at all 38 this year. So I don't know how my fiance feels about that, but. I was going to say, you got a fiance at home. She must miss you or she's probably happy to see you go every Friday. I think it's probably a little bit of both. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's busy too, so I guess it works out. I told her next year, though, I will take some off. So I'd really like to be more like a 24. Um, you know, I got to do it like, like you know, Josh and Josh Jones and some of these other guys. They, you know, they have people that work for them and yeah. have to go to every race. Um, we're still building an agency, so. Yeah, you'll be big time one day. Yeah, I don't know about that, but I hope to not go to <laughs> as many races. <laughs> yes, I hear you on that. Um, so, you know, I, I like to ask a lot of people – what's next? Like, what are your main goals, expectations, that type of thing? Um, I, I don't know what like the end all be all is for people in your industry. Cause frankly, I don't have a lot of experience, you know, dealing with you guys. I mean, you know, on one hand it would be, well, I want to climb in the cup series or I want a cup series champion or just to grow my portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you said it right there. I take it that you don't really know either. Is it kind of just a week by week, day by day type thing and just keep growing the company to well, figure out what the next step is i'm getting old so i'm getting you know i'm becoming soft you're not 31 yet you got a couple I'm days there, yeah i'll be i'm i'm closing in on it though um on. yeah i think obviously all those things win races championships i want it'd be cool to win a daytona 500 um whether, whether it's ross or somebody else 
Um, and that, you know, whatever, that's, that's great. I do want to do all those things. I want to build a, a great business. I want to do what Carrie did. I truly, um, I think for me, I am on a quest to find, uh, the right balance in my life. And I know that sounds like kind of cliche. This, this, this industry is hard on people, right? We're gone a lot. Um, demanding and it eats a lot of people up and spits them out and um you know it can ruin home lives and different kinds of things just because you're on the road so much and so for me i'm 31 almost 31 um (laughs) i i really want to over this next 15 years of my life i really want to master not master but i want to get better i want to figure out how to grow a business like this that's so demanding and give people like the proper work-life balance um be able to pay people what, you know, the proper wages and give them bonuses. And um, that's something that's just kind of missing in our industry, right? Our industry is very, I mean, you know, you, you're you chasing around, you have a lot of good gigs, but you're just always chasing the next gig and trying to, you know, get a contract for a year or six months or, you know, you're doing this podcast, trying to get your name out there, trying to get a sponsor, all these different things, right? I want to be able to be known as a place that, um, you know, if I'm looking for someone to come write for us, you know, you might send me your resume because, you know, you're going to have a 401k and you're going to have all these things and you're going to have this great life and you can still do racing. And it's not unless really you're in the top 15 in the Cup Series. I mean, like, you know, Spire and Front Row, they all offer benefits and, and good pay and all that. But still the work life balance, you race 30 times a year. Like there is no I mean, that's not Spire's fault. And I'm not blaming NASCAR either. We got to keep the TV partners happy, but it's like, I got one off weekend. It's, it's hard yeah. to have a balance. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm kind of on a quest to like figure out that balance and see if I can do it better. Um, you know, we're winning races. We're running up front. Um, we, we, we started working with Carson. He won two weeks later. So, you know, we won there and, um, you know, that's cliche. Everyone wants to win and, and we're doing that. So, I think that's really more where my head's at. I want to build a successful business with David and, and Ross and um, just want to live a good life. Like I, you know, I was telling someone I have two thirds of my life left. Like that's kind of scary to think about, but yeah. you know, what am I going to do with those last two thirds of my life? And it's just, I just want to be a good person. And like, I just, you come across so many grumpy, unhappy people. And it's just like, dude, like we work in racing. Like we don't even work. You know, we, we have dream jobs. So that's a really mushy answer. I'm sorry. Spoken like a true mature 31 year old. Almost yeah, yeah. 31 year old. Yeah. Well, wait, when I turn 31, I'm going to mature even more. <laughs> well, by the time this is out, by the time people are listening, you probably will be 31. And I will be among the first to wish you a happy birthday. Mark my oh, words. I'm excited. Yeah. That'd good. be good. Well, I'll be 31 at, at the racetrack, just where I wanted to celebrate. How about that? Yeah. Nothing says happy birthday like dance with the lady in black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope we don't dance with her, but yeah. I was going to say, I I think your fiance will understand, but hopefully you don't dance, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hey, man, this has been awesome. I love getting a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, Admittedly, I learned a lot in this chat because, again, I I just don't, don't consume myself with the other side, the business side of the sport as much as I probably should, to be honest. So I appreciate you giving me some time and all that perspective and honesty. I think a lot of people will find it interesting, so thank you. Yeah, man. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Thanks for everything you do. And I know, uh, I know, uh, you know, guys like you are just trying to to make it happen. It's, 
I feel like you have the uh, the job that like the thankless job. Like they're only mad at you when like you get something wrong. I'm like right? the offensive lineman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I appreciate uh, you know everything that you do, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. And we are back. Whew, that was a lot, wasn't it? I know there was a lot going on there, but I hope that you are smarter now for hearing that conversation. I know I am for sure after conducting the conversation because for real, I, I did not know a lot of the things that Philip was talking about. And again, we've known each other for a handful of years, but we haven't really ever sat down and discussed the nitty gritty details when it comes to driver representation like we did in that chat. So big, big thank you to Philip for carving out the time. Again, I, I joked with him, but it has been an insanely busy last couple weeks and year, honestly, his ninth working in the motorsports industry professionally. So big thank you to him for carving out the time and thank you for the honest perspective. It was very, very cool. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but what about that race at Kansas, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, as Kyle Busch says, if you don't like that racing, don't even watch because I don't want to hear it. I love F1, and I watched the Miami Grand Prix. Doesn't hold a candle to what we saw in Kansas. Boy, oh boy, that was some of the best racing that I have seen in years, and definitely the best race that we've seen with this next-gen car in this new era of Cup Series racing. You had tire wear. You had strategy. You had comers and goers, hot temperatures, slipping, sliding around, slick racetrack. So much was happening on Sunday at Kansas, and I don't even know where to begin. So let's just go to the end because that's what everybody's talking about. The move Denny Hamlin made on Kyle Larson on the last lap coming out of turn two. It was not dirty. It was not clean. It just was. And I think that that's fair and that's fine to, to kind of have, right? Denny Hamlin didn't go into turn two and say, I'm going to wipe out Larson here. And Larson didn't wash up the racetrack purposefully and say, oh, I'm going to wash up the racetrack here. It, it's called racing, people. Stuff happens with split seconds to spare, and you don't really have any time or luxury to react or plan ahead. You just react to what you see. And that's what both of the drivers did. They're friends. They talked about it. Larson wasn't even mad about it. They're cool. Move on. Uh, Denny Hamlin gets his first win of the year. Larson was going for his third. And, man, it was a dogfight at the end of it. Speaking of dogfight, there was a literal fight between Ross Chastain and Noah Gregson after the race. We talked about that a little bit with Phillip, but no penalties coming from that skirmish on pit road after the race. I, I did find it funny. Chase Elliott gave a little, uh, well, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, how he was feeling probably. But that, that Sunday at Kansas, that's just kind of like everything you want in a NASCAR race, right? It, I mentioned all the things that it had. The one thing, if you really want to be nitpicky, which I think that could be maybe improved is just the 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 amount of cautions and the uh uh uh, uh like the stop start nature to it. But again, that's nitpicky. I didn't even mind it to be honest. I know that some other people did, which is fine. But that was quintessential NASCAR right there. That was hard racing, slipping and sliding, losing grip. And sure, the next gen car it it still needs some tinkering and some tweaking. I mean. The, the dirty air concept is still very, very much prevalent, especially on intermediate tracks. But another mile-and-a-half race, another great event with the next-gen car. We have found the sweet spot party, people, and it is hot, worn-out racetracks with the next-gen car in the summer or late spring. That's a good recipe. 
That recipe is going to come to fruition this weekend at Darlington, baby. I can't wait for the Goodyear 400 throwback weekend. We got the Lady in Black, the track too tough to tame Darlington Raceway. We know that there's the Minnow Pond. We know that there's the egg shape. We know that the two ends of the racetrack are different. And we know that it will take no prisoners, baby. Oh, man, I cannot wait for it. The weather, I think that it's going to be good. Hopefully it's hot because that means it will be slick, worn out, slipping and sliding, racing the racetrack, trying to do all you can. I think it's probably going to be a heavy hitter weekend like usual. You're going to have Hendrick Motorsports running up front. You're going to have Joe Gibbs Racing running up front. Ford has been absolutely shellacked when it comes to competing with Toyota and Chevrolet this year. But I do think that you'll have Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, maybe some other Ford drivers running up front because I think those veteran drivers will kind of make the difference up in terms of what they don't have for speed and handling with their raw talent. So we shall see. But I am excited for it, man. Throwback weekend. I know some people have maybe soured on a little bit. They're like, eh, we don't need the throwback paint schemes. We don't need this hubbub and this pomp and circumstance. I disagree. I like it. I think that the more differences and different things that you can have during the season, which is a marathon, the better. And throwback weekend, even though it's the same every year, it's different and it breaks up the monotony that is the Cup Series season. So I'm all for it. I don't know if I could pick one single favorite paint scheme that uh, everybody's running this throwback weekend, but I saw one this morning, the day of this recording. It's Blaine Perkins's O2 Hour Motorsports Chevrolet. And that thing is identical, and I mean identical, to Kevin Harvick's 2003 Nationwide Bush Series. It was Bush Series back then. Bush Series Payday paint scheme. They even got the sponsor back. Payday is sponsoring the car. They got the peanuts everywhere. Ryan Daly made the design for that, and Ryan did an incredible job. So good job on Ryan. Good job on Payday. Good job on Hour for Getting it all together, man. That thing looks clean and pristine. So honorable mention to Ryan Ellis's Kevin Harvick throwback at Alpha Prime Racing as well. I'm obviously very partial. Kevin was my guy, and I love all those paint schemes. So um, I, I appreciate all the throwbacks to Kevin. I appreciate all the throwbacks in general. I think they all look awesome, and they're going to look awesome this weekend out in South Carolina. That'll wrap things up for this week's episode of Victory Lane 2.0 184. If you guys like what you heard here today, please do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, the Green app, anywhere you get your podcast. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line. I will try to rectify that issue for you. Hope you guys enjoy the racing action this weekend at Darlington. We'll be back next week with another guest from the world of NASCAR, and we will preview North. Wilkesboro Speedway, baby. That's right. It's back from the dead, and we will be there on site to see it all. Thanks for listening, party people. We'll catch you on the flip side.